0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you, and enjoy. Didn't they do a fantastic job, church? Thank them one more time. Some talented ladies there. Thank you so much. Families, I know there are a number of families here. Uh, you should be extremely proud. I know you are. Thank you for traveling here to be with them today. If you've got your Bible, uh, grab your Bible, Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, And if you don't own a Bible, let that be our gift to you. Please take it, use it, read it, get into it, and let it get into you. And uh, we just want everybody to have an opportunity to read God's Word. Um, Today, I'm going to be looking at, back in the book of Exodus, we took a four-week break, but back in the book of Exodus, looking at the God of impossibilities. Have you ever been in an impossible situation, or so it seemed to be an impossible situation? Have you ever had something, some circumstance in your life so difficult, such an impassable mountain, so uh, uh, terrifyingly horrible that you didn't know what to do? And if that's you today, if you've ever been in that place, then today's God, uh, God's word today is for you and for me. And this is what it says, okay? Verse 1. Verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Zephon. you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Verse 5, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this that we've done, and that we have let Israel go from serving us so, He made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Verse nine, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and, and his horsemen, and his army and overtook them encamped by the sea at Pihahirath, in front of Baal Zephon. That's where we're going to stop for right now. The first thing I want you to see in this, okay? Remember, remember, uh, we have been in the book of Exodus. Exodus teaches us about who we are. Each as individuals, who did God create us to be? We see that all in the beginning as Moses is having his divine encounter with God God is revealing who he has created Moses to be, using all of his past to accomplish it. Then we see not just who are we, who am I as an individual, but who is God? Who is God? And we are finishing up that section today is who is God? God is the God of impossibilities. God, there is nothing impossible for the God of Scripture. Amen. And so we see that today. So in this passage, we're going to see this impossible situation set up for us, and we're going to see the responses of four groups of people. The first group of people we're going to look at is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is hardened in this passage. He is hardened. Now, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So God says, I'm going to harden his heart. Now, if you look down at at verse 5, it says the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed. And so we see that his mind was changed somehow. Passive voice. Then in verse 8, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. So if we think about those verses, what we see is that God hardens and Pharaoh hardens. We see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so now in this, we see some divine mystery. We see the sovereignty of God on display. And we also see the responsibility of man right here before us. Now, we have been looking at the book of Exodus thus far, and we've seen this phrase on repeat. Now, the idea of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart has happened now 18 times in the book of Exodus. 18 times. And it's used in three ways. One way that it's used is God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now, that one might be a sticker for us. That might bother us a little bit. We'll talk about that in a minute. The second one is that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Passive voice. We're not sure who's doing the action. And the third way that it's used in the Scripture is that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And each of them are used almost equally in number. God hardened. It was hardened. Pharaoh hardened. And so the question is, if we ask this of ourselves, which is it? And the good Baptist answer is, uh uh-huh, right? We would like to be able to fit it in a box and go, no, it's only this one, and it's only this one, but that's not how the Bible works. Sometimes the Bible sets us up in a place of tension, and this is exactly what happens right here. God sets us up in a place of tension, and he says, not only has Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and not only is Pharaoh's heart hardened, but I have also joined in and hardened his heart. Now, a lot of people in that moment would go, I don't like that. I can't explain that very easy. And so I'm just going to kind of take that page out of my Bible and never talk about that. But if we, we need to be aware of taking hard things and ignoring them, because if we use that same logic to take hard things and ignore them, then what do we do with the Trinity? Who can fully explain the Trinity in here? Don't raise your hand because I know you can't right who can fully explain the virgin birth that god took on flesh and dwelt among us that the infinite became an infant i can't explain that wrap my mind around that and so with the same logic of i don't understand how these things fit together aw pink says beware beware he says we should not explain away the things we fully don't fully understand on the same basis, we would get rid of the Trinity. So we look at this. We see God's sovereignty. He's hardening Pharaoh's heart. We see man's responsibility that Pharaoh is hardening his own heart and saying, what have we done? Let's go get them." He's changing his mind. He's hardening his heart. He's going after them. So the question for us, is God sovereign? Church, help me out. Yes. Is man fully responsible for their actions? Yes. Now, one of the problems is sometimes we we talk about free will, and I just want to push back on that. We do have free will, but it's not as free as we think. Here's what I mean. If left to ourselves, without God's divine intervention, what will we choose, good or evil? Come on now, look at the world around us, family. We will choose evil. We naturally gravitate toward it. Our children naturally do it. Sutton, slow down. I don't know why we naturally gravitate toward it we're not as free as we think because of the fallenness of our our souls but Pharaoh here is not innocent Pharaoh's not innocent in this God knows that his heart is wicked so like Romans chapter 1 what we see is Pharaoh doing something and it's in conjunction with his sovereignty Pharaoh says, this is what I want. God says, okay, I'll give you over to it, but it's going to lead to your demise. I will give you over, just like Romans chapter 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for idols. So God gave them over. Three times in the book of Romans, God gave them over to their cravings now that's what we see in this passage so we have to ask the question why would god do it why would god do it two reasons from chapter 7 and from right here number one is to show his righteous judgment on the unrepentant to show righteous judgment on the unrepentant god gives them over he hardens them why Because they are unrepentant. Has Pharaoh been given opportunity after opportunity to see God at work, to trust in God and say, you know what? Yahweh is the one true God. Has he been given opportunities, church? Every plague is out after Pharaoh's idols, his demon gods. Every one of them is to say that Yahweh is greater than they are. Yet Pharaoh is hard in his heart. He's been given the opportunity. So now, God finally says, this is your last and final opportunity. I'm hardened to you, and there's no turning back. There's no turning back. So number one, God's righteous judgment on the unrepentant. And number two, is God's mercy being shown to others. What we're going to see, that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardens his heart, Pharaoh goes after the people of Israel, and what happens at the end of chapter 14 to all of Pharaoh His army, His chariots, everyone. What happens to them? They're destroyed. Now, that should be terrifying if we have not repented and trusted Jesus. Because there is a day coming where God's perfect justice will be uh, dealt out. But we just sang a song. There is a place where God's righteous justice and His mercy meet. You know where that place is? The cross. The cross. They meet there. So listen, if you've not trusted in Jesus as the only way of salvation, there's an opportunity. How do you know there's an opportunity, Ryan? Because you're still breathing. You're here. That's not an accident. Trust in Jesus. Stop being hard and unrepentant toward the Lord. Come to Him. Don't, Don't bristle at Him, but run to the cross of Christ. There God's justice is poured out and there God's mercy is made available to the one who comes in faith. We see it. To show His judgment on the unrepentant and show His mercy to others. And all these He does. Why? For His glory. Look at verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord glory, and the knowledge of God. That's what God's after. That's what He's after. This is His great desire for all of mankind that each one of us would know Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords as great God and Savior and that everyone would come into a deep, intimate relationship with Him that we might give Him glory by and through all that we do. That's why you exist. That's why you exist. It's not for you. It's not for your pleasure. It's not for your retirement. It's for the glory of God. How are you living for the glory of God? Are you living that the nations might know that Jesus is Lord? Are you living that your neighbors might know that Jesus is Lord? That's what he wants. We are coming into a season where we will continue to see a hardening of humanity around us. Can you see it? Come on, church, you there? Can you see a hardening of humanity around us in culture? Of course you can. But it's an opportunity for the church. It is not a hindrance to the church. It's finally, finally, there is a separation between the true church of the living God and the rest of culture. Because in South Carolina, there was a time where you couldn't tell the difference between is this just politics or is this church? Now you can. And it's time for the church to shine brightly as the bride of Christ. To live for His glory that all the nations might know who He is. Two, second group of people. The the people grumble. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there is no graves in Egypt that, we, that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Listen to what they say for it would have been better for us to serve the egyptians than to die in the wilderness now just we often look at the 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 these jewish people and go man they were so silly now in the story who are we israel okay so don't give yourself too much credit the author intends for us to see ourselves in israel we are not yahweh amen And really, we're not Moses. We are God's people. And this is what they say. Moses, what's your deal? Did you bring us out of Egypt because there were no graves there? So you brought us out into the wilderness because there's enough room to kill us all and bury us? Is that what you did here? It would have been better for us to die as slaves than to experience all the glories of God in the plagues and in the exodus and now die here as freed men and women. That's exactly what they said. They grumbled. They grumbled. Now, what was the root of all that? What was the root of all that? I want you to look at the, the, the end of verse 10. It says, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. They feared greatly. Do you know what was at the root of their, their grumbling? Fear. Fear. Fear of an army. Fear of death. Fear of the unknown. You ever been there? Fear was at the root of their grumb- grumbling, and fear is the opposite of true biblical what? Come on now, church family. You got to wake up. I'm trying real hard, okay? Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear and faith cannot coexist. They cannot. They cannot. Fear here led Israel to grumble. And they grumbled in their idea, or in their mind, directly against Moses. But, it says they cried out to the Lord. And, and, and who were they truly grumbling against? God. Now, fear is never a God pleasing motivation when it comes to God's people. Fear is never God pleasing. God has never looked on us and said, "Wow, that fear is just amazing." Now, there is a fear that is beautiful. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but that's the fear of the Lord. Are these people afraid of the Lord? No, they're afraid of an enemy. They're afraid of dying. They're afraid of of the unknown. And so, this is not who God's created us to be. Romans chapter 8.15 says, God says in Romans through Paul, uh, I have not given you a spirit of fear to lead you back into slavery. Does that sound familiar? But I've given you the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and mind and self-control. This is what God has given to His people. Their fear was a lack of trust in God. And when they began to grumble, who were they grumbling against? God Himself. Had God led them this far out? Had God redeemed them from here, or from, from Egypt to hear, to leave them now? Of course not. Surely He would not give up on them. You know, we grumble about life circumstances sometimes, and and let me me just open a box for you. When we grumble against our circumstances, who are we grumbling against? God. We think we're grumbling against other people. We're not. What we're really saying is, God, you're not as good as I thought you should be. I don't believe that you're powerful enough to accomplish your scripture that says all things work together for my good and your glory. I don't believe you're good enough or powerful enough. I don't believe that you actually love me from my perspective, the way I see it. You can't fix this. This is too big for you and our circumstances become greater than our God is powerful. So question, church, do we believe that God is good? We ought to. Do we believe that nothing happens? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I don't know how to say that any more emphatically. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign plan. Nothing. Sickness, death, Loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of a friend, family, nothing. Slander, whatever it is, nothing happens outside of the hand of God. Everything that comes to you, friend, comes through the hands, the fingers of a loving father. Everything. Why did this happen to me? I don't know, but I know that God knows. And that He's good. And I know that if you could see from God's perspective, if you could on the other side of eternity look back at what you're going through right now, you would say, if that is what it took to get me here, I'd walk that road again. That's how good God is. That's what it means when we pray your will be done. It's saying, God, my feeble mind is so small I can't understand what you want to do so I've got to trust that you're good and that you know and that you will walk me through uncomfortable days to make me where the who you want me to be and take me where you want me to be and do with me what you want to do. Hmm. Acts chapter 12, there's a story one one chapter. James is beheaded. Peter is now in prison. Peter miraculously gets set free. I have a question for you. Why is James beheaded and Peter set free? Well, Peter was a man of faith. You read the same Peter that I'm talking about? Not very <laughs> filled with faith all the time, was he? People were praying for him. Don't you think they are praying for James too? And when Peter shows up at the door, uh, Rhoda, the servant, comes uh, and says, Peter's there, and they're like, no, it's not Peter. I know we've been praying that the Lord would set him free, but it can't be Peter. Why did God do that? Why did God allow one to die and one to live? Because God is good. God is sovereign and He has a plan that in all things He would be glorified. And God for some reason saw fit that He would get most glory by seeing James beheaded and Peter set free. That's tough, but it's true. Are we grumbling against something in our life? I want to encourage you, stop it. Sin. Turn to Jesus in faith. Say, I don't understand, I don't even like it, but I love you, and I trust you, and I believe that you're good, and I believe that you wouldn't bring me down this path if you didn't have a plan for it in me, and if you didn't have a plan to use it through me. Third, Moses grew, Moses learned, Moses wavered and then grew strong. Verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Man, what a man that is. What a statement. Fear not, stand firm, and watch God work. Watch Him do what He does best. Put God, back God into a corner, and see Him at work. There's a lot of football going on right now. And this is the underdog comeback of the century. Back God into a corner. Give God space to work. Mm. And then verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Listen. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians that they shall go in after them and I'll get glory over Pharaoh. Verse 18, And the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord. Did you hear what God said to Moses? Why are you crying to me? Put your staff up, tell the waves to part, and then go through. Was Moses just supposed to know that was going to happen? Right? God said it so, it seems so nonchalantly, like, didn't you know this is what I would do? Now listen to me. Here's my question. My question for us today is, if I can fall on these, uh, my question for us today is, is there room in in your life for God to work? Have you so engineered your life, your budget, your future in such a way that you have left no room for God to work in you? Through you in your life. If so, that is not a life well pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes we act in our lives and we leave no room for the Holy Spirit to show up, no room for God to move. I don't need your help. I have figured it out. God says, Well, that's not the kind of life that I want to be a part of. Come back to me when you're not so hard hearted, come back to me when you want me at the center. Come back to me when you want to see me do something through you that only I can do. Church. Let me talk to my Seneca Baptist people for a minute. Sometimes we work in committees and we work in such a way that we have worked God out of the church's business. Sometimes we plan and we work in such a way that there is no room for God to do only what God can do and He is the God of impossibilities. It's time, church, for us to give God room to do what only God can do. He is the God of impossibilities. God had led him this far. God had led him this far. Church family, friend, if you're a guest with us today, I I just want to ask, you find yourself between a rock and a hard place? Great. Great. This is a time where God has designed to grow your faith, to change the way that you function, to say that this world and the things that you can see is not all that there is. But if you will come up and look from my perspective, you will see all of the possibilities that I can accomplish. God says, I can accomplish if you'll give me room to work. Give him room. Who have you thrown out? Said, well, I've tried. No good. Have you given God room to work in that relationship? What have you given up on? Will you turn it over to God and say, God, I will follow you into the middle of the ocean even when it doesn't make sense if you will work and do what only you can do. Now, I'm not saying that God will... Always. God will not always let James live and Peter go free. Sometimes it doesn't end well for us. But the question is did I walk in faith or fear? i got to go. Fourth, God is faithful. I wish I had time to go through every verse of this, but God is faithful. God didn't lead them this far to let them go now. God has not given up on them. The the promise of the gospel is not that uh, God will keep you from adversity. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus will walk with you through adversity. Just think about Jesus. Jesus came, the perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God came, and his life was known by adversity. Why wouldn't we experience adversity? Difficulty, tribulation, trials. God is faithful. Verse 19, the angel of God who was going before them, the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved be- from before them and stood behind them. Now, we, we have not up to this point heard about the angel of the Lord. We know about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, but the angel of the Lord is a new addition in this story. Who is the angel of the Lord? We've talked about this before. Who is the angel of the Lord in the book of Exodus pointing forward to? Jesus Jesus is, or the angel of the Lord, is God in tangible form. The burning bush. The angel of the Lord spoke to him, and His name is Yahweh. Now, God shows up and He goes before them. Isn't that encouraging? What difficulty, what impossibility are you walking through right now? I just want to remind you that not only do you have a pillar of cloud or fire, but you have God in your midst. If you're a believer, you have God in your midst. Verse 20, or verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. Verse 24, in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud look down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, verse 25, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against us. Have you engineered your life To such a degree that God has no place to fight. Have you fought all your battles? Or have you given some of them to the Lord and said, God, I can't. I need you. God will fight for you if you stop fighting for yourself. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand back over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Who did that? Who threw them into the midst? The Lord did. Yahweh did. Verse 28, the waters returned, covered all the chariots and the horsemen. And all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, their waters being a wall to them on their right hand on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that the Egyptians or saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. Who were they fearing before? Yeah, Egypt. Now who are they fearing? God, that fear is pleasing. People feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. As I close this thing, I'm going to land this plane. What I want us to learn and be challenged by this passage is two main truths. Number one, God is good and even trials that He allows are for our good and for His glory. God is good. What are you going through? God's good. What illness do you have? God is good. Number two, there is nothing impossible for God. The more impossible a situation becomes, the more God has an opportunity to work. So when something seems impossible, how do we respond? Are we humbly dependent and obedient even when obedience doesn't make sense, or do we grumble against that which we do not understand? I want to be humbly dependent and obedient. I want to leave room for God to do what only He can do in my life and in our church. And that is a place where God can do all things we'll learn next week that we are a worshipful people and one of the first things that they say is salvation belongs to God so if you're out there today and you don't know Jesus I want you to know you can't save yourself that's why we need a savior's name is Jesus Christ who came to die for you trust him let's pray would you stand with me as we pray stand up Mr. Christopher come lead us in a closing hymn Pastor Christopher is going to sing I think it's Shine Jesus Shine and that's truly what we're asking is that He would shine in us and through us that the world might know Him. Father, we ask right now in Jesus' name that whatever we're experiencing and going through O oh Lord, You would reveal to us that You are going to be glorified in it and You are going to do good for us through it. Father, might we see You at work? Might we leave room for You? Might we be humbly dependent on You, crying out to You, not grumbling against You, but let us change our grumble for intercession. May we pray and plead that God, You would do what only You can do in a way that only You can get the glory for it. Father, we don't want You to bless our plans, but we surrender our plans to You and please bless Your plans. Give us Your plans, Your will. It doesn't make sense in this world. Oh, but it's going to be far better when we trust it and walk in it. Father, if there's any who are lost, save them. Any who are hardened, soften them. Any who are far, draw them. Father, we want to live in such a way that You will get glory and all the nations will know that You're God. Forgive us when we fall short Help us to clearly confess our sins. And we're thankful that if we confess, You are faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? I'm right here if you want.